Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, and then we'll turn over to chapter 9, verse 10. The theme for this Bible study is the fear of the Lord, and this is coming under the uh, maybe a series, we'll see, uh, on the wisdom of Solomon. I'll explain as we get started. So Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 reads, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And then also chapter 9, you might be more familiar with this one. It's a lot like that last proverb, but proverb uh, chapter 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. So Solomon gave his son Rehoboam, and to us by extension, a treasure of wise sayings in the book of Proverbs. These are categorized as wisdom literature. You have Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Those are all in the category of wisdom literature. And I have come up with this statement that Proverbs are wisdom for a life well lived. I like to read a chapter of Proverbs a day, and there's been times in my life where I did it for a while, and then I stopped, and now I'm back to doing it uh, regularly, and so trying to read a proverb a day and and do a uh, form of personal Bible study that I have found to be really helpful for me, I've gotten so much out of it, and I'm, I'm not trying to get sermon material or, you know, Bible study material, but it just, it just uh, comes, so uh, this is going to be some of what I'm getting from that. Um, But you might be asking, what is the meaning of the word wisdom? It was defined by Job about 3,800 years ago, about 1,800 B.C. And uh, Job chapter 28, verse 28, And unto man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. So the Bible defines the word wisdom, and it also defines the word understanding as far as the Bible's usage of the word. Wisdom is the fear of the Lord. To depart from evil is understanding. So understanding, as you'll find it used in the wisdom literature, understanding is to depart from evil. So the Bible definition for wisdom is the fear of the Lord. That two-letter word there, is... (laughs) often indicates a definition given in your Bible. So when you see that word is, just know that uh, you might find a definition there for what, uh, for what you're looking for. And in this case, you'll find it there in Job chapter 28, verse 28. So what is wisdom? Wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And since this is a constant biblical, there's our first blank, theme. The fear of the Lord is a constant biblical theme. We must understand the fear of the Lord, and this will help us to understand the book of Proverbs and really all of the Bible. It, it, is, it is foundational, fundamental, primary to your Bible learning. As a Bible student, we have to understand what the fear of the Lord is, so I think this is going to be very beneficial uh, to us tonight. So, first of all, the fear of the Lord is... Never, that's the next blank, 
Never godly reverence or reverential trust. That is a untrue definition for what the fear of the Lord is. That is incorrect. It is never those things. So let's see if the Bible can clear up a poor fundamental Baptist education. Uh, It's taught in many fundamental Baptist uh, institutes and colleges that the fear of the Lord is reverential trust. Um, You'll hear that quite often. It's taught not only in those schools, but in any dispensational uh, conservative fundamental Bible school. And that is an untruth that is not accurate. So the Bible will clear this up for us. We must beware of any private interpretation. So I tried to give words that pretty much sum up my point. The first point is that that's never the definition in the Bible. (laughs) My second point is private interpretation. We have to beware of that. No, and that's another misnomer. Yeah, the awe part. Sure, that's a part of it, but as far as you look at it, its usage in Scripture, no. It's a cop-out. It's a cop-out for somebody who's trying to defend God. Um, and so it's a, it's a modern departure, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, from Scripture. Um, and it would have come about, I would imagine, right around the 1880s, 1890s, when you started to have uh, liberalism and higher uh, critical thinking and German rationalism entering into the seminaries. So it's a private interpretation, and we have to beware of it, okay? Um, And sometimes they'll use original languages, or they'll say some scholar says, scholarship says. Um, We have to beware of that. So I put a bunch of these scriptures in here just to save us time and and I didn't want us to have to look up everything because we've, we've gone over these verses before. But listen to the words of the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. That is, that God does not give to his church the responsibility or even the right to privately interpret the Scriptures. Peter goes on to say, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So he says there's no private interpretation, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And these words were written down. And, mm-hmm. it's, that's it. So it's not interpreted. Yes. And it's, it's given, right? Which is, that's it. It's not interpreted, it's a revelation. Which means given to you. Yeah. It's something that God reveals. It's something that we didn't know before until he gave it to us. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's no private interpretation, but what we have is we have all these different holy men. We think about 40 that were on, what, three different continents? at different times, lived at different times, and somehow their, their, their writings come together and just harmonize. And what they do is they, they interpret each other. They define each other. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So Peter says there's no private interpretation. Yes. 
So it, you can't get an interpretation that's outside of the Bible, in other words. Yeah, so, okay. Um, now, do you remember what Joseph said in Genesis chapter 40, verse 8? They said unto him, We have dreamed a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. And Joseph said unto them, Do not interpretations belong to God? You see, they don't belong to us. They belong to him. Where are we going to find them? Uh, Daniel, he knew where interpretations came from. Daniel chapter 2, verses 26 through 28. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Art thou able to make known unto me the dream which I have seen? Art thou able, Daniel, and the interpretation thereof? And Daniel answered in the presence of the king, sort of a side note, just making his point. He says, The secret which the king hath demanded, cannot the wise men, the astrologers, they're all around his throne, you know, the magicians and the soothsayers show unto the king? And of course they can't because it's God's business to interpret. But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. In other words, the interpretation of the dream. Now, would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And uh, look with me at these verses. Now, they're familiar. The reason why I bring you here is to say that you ought to put those references that we just read, you ought to put those in your Bible in the margin right next to these verses because they all go together. It's a, something that the Bible shows us. It shows us literally how to study it. it. It tells us itself how we are to study and find the interpretation for Scripture. Um, so Paul here, he explains it in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. But we're in 1st Corinthians chapter 2 and verse, well, let's do verse, well, verse 12. Now we have received, Paul says, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. You ought to Underline that word things. So we need to know what these things are. Which things also we speak. So they're things that are spoken. Now, what do we speak? We speak words, right? Not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. Now, where do we find these words that the Holy Ghost teaches? Where do we find those words? In the Bible. That's the only place you're going to find them. Um, Jesus said to his apostles, I have many things to say to you, but you can't, I'm just paraphrasing, you can't handle it right now. You cannot handle the truth right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And for the church. And he, had, he, had, he said, I've got all these things to tell you, but you can't handle it. And then he said, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, and when he's come... He'll bring all these things into remembrance, and he'll teach you. So there was other things that Jesus wanted to teach his apostles. They weren't ready, but then he taught his apostles, and it was put down what he wanted us to have. It was put down into Scripture. So these things that the Holy Ghost teacheth, 
they're the words of God. So comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Now based on that, what are the spiritual things that we're supposed to compare? The spiritual things are scripture with scripture. Scripture is inspired words that came from God. Okay? Scripture with scripture. So we compare spiritual things with spiritual things, scripture with scripture in order to get God's interpretation. But the natural man receiveth not. If you have, if you have any doubt about that, okay? Just reading the rest of the verses in the context will clear that up. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, the words of God, in other words, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. He that is spiritual judgeth all things, he that, uh, that yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. You know what you have if you have a copy of the scriptures? You have the mind of Christ right here. And so to get God's interpretation and to uh, avoid the error of a private interpretation, we have to compare scripture with scripture. That's the point of the study. All right? Or that's the, that's the way we're going to go at it. So next, the fear of the Lord cannot be reverence. You say, why? Well, look at Hebrews chapter 12. Again, the Bible will clear up a, a Bible college education. Um, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. And just, uh, just got to see this and... And underline this phrase if you mark your Bible, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 28. That's towards the end of the Bible. So you'd have Hebrews, James, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, and Revelation. So if you went to Revelation and then backed up to the left, you'd hit Hebrews. And chapter 12 and verse 28 says there, Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably. So how should we serve God? Acceptably with reverence and godly fear. They're two separate things. Reverence is not the same as godly fear. Otherwise, Paul would have just said reverence or awe or respect. Let us serve God with awe and respect. No, let us serve God with reverence and godly fear. So we need to know what godly fear is because it's something separate. You see, the next point, the fear of the Lord is illustrated. It's illustrated in many places in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. So when Jesus wanted to teach people, some uh, spiritual truth, he would give them like a, a parable. Basically, he would give them a picture with words. And he would say, the kingdom of God is like this. And he would give them illustrations, like a man going into a far country or something like that. Well, here are some illustrations in the Bible that teach what the fear of the Lord is. I'm going to read them. You don't have to go to all of them so that we get done on time. But I'm going to Exodus 20, and if you want to follow, you can. 
But I'll go to Exodus 20, and let's try to determine what the fear of God entails. And it's not complicated, by the way. It is not complicated at all. But I'm going to read this passage, and you tell me what you think the fear of God involves, or godly fear. Okay, Exodus chapter 20, verse 18. And all the people saw the thunderings. You know, they're standing around Mount Sinai, and Moses is up there on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments. All the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings. Did you hear any thunder, and did you see any lightning about two nights ago? It woke me up from my sleep, and uh, this must have been something, because it's all around the mountain, and they're right down at the bottom of the mountain. And the noise of the trumpet, when God spoke, it sounded to the people like a trumpet. And the mountain smoking, and when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. So they backed way up. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. They thought right there, God showing a manifestation of his glory and his power, they thought that they would die in his presence. Anybody here understand that that is fear? Like, if you're afraid you're going to die, that's fear. You understand? It isn't complicated. What does fear mean? It means fear. It means you're afraid. Okay? They were afraid they were going to die. Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God has come to prove you, and that his fear may be before your faces. God meant to do that. That ye sin not. So, fear has a a good side effect. It causes us to straighten up. And walk the narrow path. And uh, it, it stirs our conscience to think about what we're doing. The way that we're living. The way that we're acting. Exodus chapter 23 and verse 27. I will send my fear before thee. Now God's talking about how he'll send his fear not on his own people but on his enemies. And the enemies of his people. I'll send my fear before thee. He's talking about when you go into the land, land of Canaan. And will destroy all the people to whom thou shalt come. And I will make all thine enemies turn their backs unto thee. And I will send hornets before thee. So God says he's going to send hornets to go in there and mess these people up. And he said, I'm going to send my fear before thee. Now, if you had a horde, I don't know, a bunch of hornets... Swarm, that's what I was looking for, heading towards you. How are you going to feel? Yeah. 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 And God could protect them, could command his hornets. And if they're coming after you, how do you feel when a wasp gets in your car? Man, you're going to have a wreck. If, if you, You'd better pull over, roll down, just get out and run around and scream. You know what happens. It's terrifying. Just one wasp, you know. So how did they feel? <laughs> they felt afraid. He said, I will send my fear. So again, this isn't rocket, scientists, or rocket science. Now, uh, the next point, Eliphaz had a night vision. I won't read it, but that's an interesting thing there. He had a real vision come from the Lord. This was back before, the only book of the Bible that was in existence at that time would have been Job's writings. 
And so back then, the Lord was giving them visions in the night. Now, can you think of one reference from our recent study in Acts of a real fear, a godly fear, within the church? Can you think of, and I'm thinking of uh, something that we studied, a, a story in the book of Acts that speaks of real godly fear, as in you had better mind your P's and Q's. Yes, Ananias and Sapphira. Is that blank there? Acts chapter 4. They lied to the Holy Ghost, and what did God do? He made an example out of them and dropped them right there in the service. Um, so how would that make everybody else feel? Fine, if you're being honest. If you're thinking about going up there and lying to the apostles too, you'd be like, I don't I'm, Honey, we have a change of plans. We're, you know, we're given everything, you know. Ananias and Sapphira's friends straightened up and no they didn't have to give everything yeah they could have just said we want to just give 10% or whatever they didn't have to give it all so would you say that uh, folks in the church were afraid if they were going to do wrong they were, they were rethinking that okay so we're not at the conclusion yet but, but you see what I'm talking about it's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. Uh, Paul's admonition to the church at Philippi. I'll just read that real quick. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. I want you to see that this is an example in the New Testament. One was in the book of Acts. Here's another one. There's, there's many more, but here's one from the people in Philippi. In chapter 2 and verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, Okay, so we're talking about obedience. Not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with what? Fear. And just in case you're wondering what kind of fear that is, trembling. Okay? Again, this is not Pastor John's private interpretation. This is scripture with scripture. Okay? With fear and trembling. Now, the fear of the Lord or... Basically, like uh, I wrote it down so I'd be able to, or, or an allusion to the fear of the Lord is in the New Testament at least 24 times, but probably more, as, it, as it's mentioned in the New Testament. Okay, now finally, the fear of the Lord is a fundamental or primary uh, New Testament doctrine. I should have just put Bible doctrine. It's primary. In other words, it's part of our ABCs of our learning as a Christian. It's where you start. You, you learn your ABCs first before you learn how to sound out words, you know. It's the primaries. It's the fundamentals of the Christian faith. It's not just for the Old Testament saint. It's for the New Testament believer too. Um, now, Acts chapter 9. I wanted you to see this. Acts chapter 9. And I try not to put anything in there, but this whole point has to do with it being primary or fundamental to us as Christians. In other words, we ought to think this way every day. In Acts chapter 9, um, Acts chapter 9 and verse 31, and the blank is, it's part of our daily walk. The fear of the Lord is part of our daily walk or should be considered daily as we go throughout life. 
Acts chapter 9, verse 31, says there, Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified, or built up, walking in the fear of the Lord. You say, what do you mean? I bet Paul said something to him like this. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Okay? There's a reason he said that. With fear and trembling. And in the comfort, the comfort of the Holy Ghost, they were multiplied. Okay? Uh, the fear and trembling had something to do with what happened in Acts chapter 4. Um, God again made an example. Not everybody that did something wrong was, was dropped on the spot. You know, God showed his great mercy in 1 Corinthians 5 with the man who was taken in adultery. So, or the man who was involved in, uh, what was it, his mother-in-law, having an impure relation with his mother-in-law. So, um, now, it's part of our daily walk. Paul t- told us that. Live in the fear of the Lord. Now, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This will be our last one. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. And chapter 5. And verse 11. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. Anybody have any problem understanding the word terror? Again, reverential trust, uh, awe, it doesn't cut the mustard. We already saw in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, they're two separate things. This is talking about being afraid of God, which we should be. Okay, um, It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God that's fearful for believers and unbelievers. I'll, I'll explain more, but... Paul saying, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. Paul saying, we know the terror of the Lord. People are going to go to the lake of fire. Okay, get saved. Repent or perish. Turn or burn. God is a consuming fire. Yes, God is love, but my God is a consuming fire. God is love, therefore he hates sin. He hates anything that is unloving. Uh, God is perfect love. God is also perfectly holy. So knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We're made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that you may have somewhat to answer them, which glory in appearance and not in heart, and so on and so forth. Paul goes on. And what he's talking about is we all have to appear before the judgment seat of Christ in verse 10. So we labor in verse 9. And what this is, this, it's, it motivates us to be a Christian worker. The fear of the Lord motivates us because we know that people, the mission field is all around us. And these people are souls that are going to spend eternity somewhere and that... If you don't preach the gospel to them as a church, if we don't preach the gospel, blood will be on our hands. And so this is a fearful thing. The terror of the Lord for them, an eternity 
in uh, Jesus talked about it a lot, eternity and weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Repent, he, he said. It was the very first word of the gospel that Jesus ever said was repent or else you'll perish. So it motivates us to be a Christian worker. Now, my point is actual fear is intended by this term. Let's not soft soap it or sidestep the issue. Actual fear is intended by this term. Don't think like Freddy Krueger and Jason and, you know, Night on Elm Street and stuff like that. That's not the, that's, that's horror movie stuff. But actual fear, that's my point. God is wise, loving, and merciful, but listen, he is also a consuming fire. Our holy God will punish and bless. Read Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 28. As you're reading Proverbs, keep in mind that you're in Jewish territory. Therefore, everything in Proverbs really relates to Deuteronomy 28. If you serve God and keep his commandments, God will bless you. If you turn against God and worship idols and break all of his commandments, God will curse you. So that's, that's Proverbs. It's a, it's a Jewish territory. But this is actual fear. Now, let me balance it with New Testament truth. Think of a loving earthly father administering righteous corporal punishment. That's the picture. Uh, children ought to be afraid to do wrong and to disobey. Uh, mom and dad they ought to be afraid because they know we're going to get a whipping if it's bad enough we're going to get a whipping now that fear is just enough to stir the conscience and to alarm the conscience and to bring you back on the right path and not want to not want to drift off to the left hand or to the right hand it's enough to deal with us as sinful creatures as we are to straighten up get back on the right path but that's not all of the christian doctrine that we have uh i put a verse in there from first john chapter 4 verse 18 we are not made perfect in fear as believers we are not made perfect in fear we are made perfect in what in love you say what does that mean this is what i think that means um First John chapter four. I might have said Peter. First John chapter four. Now John was closer to the Lord Jesus than any other disciple. John had no reason to fear God's chastisement. I'll wrap this up real quick and forgive me for going over a couple minutes. John had no reason to fear God's chastisement. John loved the Lord and he was doing right. Okay? So he says, perfect love, there's no fear in love. Perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. It certainly does. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. You know what John was saying? You folks, you Christians, if you're fearing, you're not made perfect in love. Now, if your love towards the Lord is perfect, you have no reason to fear chastisement. Or, you know, that, that means whippings. That means strikes. Strokes is what it means. You have no reason to fear God taking you out to the woodshed if your love is perfect. But if your love for the Lord, you say, what's the love? Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Okay, so if we're following the Lord and keeping his commandments and not living in any willful sin, repenting daily, because that's what a Christian is, is a daily repenter, uh, and, and living for the Lord, there's no reason to fear getting in trouble with the Lord. 
Uh, there's no reason to fear getting rebuked at the judgment seat of Christ for not working for the Lord. And there's no reason to fear people looking at you on the other side of the great white throne judgment and looking at you and they knew you and you knew them in this life and they said, you never told me just before the Lord cast them out into the lake of fire. There's no reason to fear that because you've been obedient. Perfect love casts all fear out. And so that's how you balance it. Let me, let me summarize it this way. Um, sometimes people wonder, why do the wicked people in this world just seem like they're living it up and everything is going their way? And it seems like life is good for the wicked people in this world that they don't want anything to do with God. They, they curse Jesus' name. Um, why? Yeah, it's temporary. Because this is like heaven for them, for the wicked that, that won't accept Jesus. This is like heaven and God just lets them go until the great white throne judgment. And then they have their hell coming. Now this, for us, this is not heaven. God, if you're a child of God, God chastens his children. So therefore, when we do wrong, we get in trouble for it. You know? We, we can't get away with it anymore. And once we're saved, we can't go back and live like we lived in the world. We don't enjoy it anymore. And so we get chastised and punished and sometimes severely, sometimes God would rather take us out of this life than to allow us to go on and sin and make things worse. And so our punishment comes now, but, but when we get to the end, then it's over. And we go to the judgment seat of Christ, and after the judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne judgment, I believe, then tears will be wiped away. They'll be wiped away. Okay, let's go ahead and pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you'd help us uh, to live in the fear of the Lord, to walk each day knowing that we have a heavenly father and you're not like an earthly father that would just laugh at something that's sinful and wrong and let it go. You, you'll punish every time. And I pray, Father, that you'd help us to live in that fear. And I'm so thankful, Lord, that I know you've chastened me and I know you've dealt with me. And I'm so thankful, Lord, that uh, you're way merciful, way more merciful to us than what we deserve and God uh, thankful for that I pray that you'd help us all to be made perfect in love and I pray for this lost world all around us one of these days they're going to know the terror of the Lord and I pray that you'd help us to, to do something about it to try to do something and I pray that you'd use our, our little feeble efforts I pray more people would be saved during our services here. I pray for the kids in our church that are not yet saved. I pray that there'd be true, sound conversions. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to say this before we're dismissed. I'm, I'm feeling under conviction again about being the kind of witness that I should be. And the other day, Beth and I were at uh, the food fair. And I don't say this to brag. Um, Lord knows I have no reason to brag. But we were sitting there. And Beth was getting groceries, and, and she came back to the car, and there was this guy beside me, and you could just kind of tell he was a dope head, and I don't mean that in, as judgmental or anything like that, but you just get the picture when I said that, right? Um, there he is sitting there, and he's blasting his loud rap music, and it's offensive. I don't want the kids hearing it, you know. I don't want my wife hearing it. And my first thought was, you know, but then, I, but then the Lord was like, you know, why don't you give him a gospel track? Why don't you 
try to help him out. So I got out of the car and I took This Was Your Life and I went over there to the window and I stuck it in the window and he said, what's this? And I said, it's tell you about Jesus and how to get to heaven. And then the Lord, every once in a while, he'll put it on my heart to say things like this. But I said, there's a real hell. You don't have to go. And he put his head down. He said, I know. And he took the track. You see, we got it. The Lord, uh, the Lord wants us to be a witness and do anything we can, whatever we can, and try. And I don't know how the Lord will use that. But let's keep praying also for our track ministry.